You're tuned to KZYX Philo, 90.7 FM. KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah, 91.5 FM. And Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Support for KZYX comes from our members in Coyote Valley Casino, just off Highway 101 in Redwood Valley. Open 10 a.m. to 1 a.m. daily. Angelina's Grill and the Sage House offer indoor dining as well as curbside pickup. Menu and more information at coyotevalleycasino.com. Stay tuned for Corporations and Democracy. First you told us only through you could we know God, and if we dared to question, he wouldn't spare the rod. For you we worked the soil, for you we dug the moors, for you we shed our blood and fought so many pointless wars. Now you try to tell us there's nothing we can do. You say the world around us belongs fairly to the few. But about six billion people, no doubt, will agree this world is our home, not your property. It's the commons, our right of birth. And you who wouldn't close the land all around the earth, our future is your downfall when we cut this ball and chain. You who've sacrificed the public good for your private gain. With our sweat, we built the railroads, built cities on these shores. But because you own the money, you say that it's all yours. We laid the phone lines and the pipelines, and then right before our eyes, you say these things are taxes paid for. Yet now we'll privatize. Privatize the hospitals, privatize the schools, privatize the prisons for all those who break your rules and preparing for the day. When all the wells run dry, you say you own the very rain that falls down from the sky, but it's the commons, our right of birth. And you who own the water all around the earth, our future is your downfall, only cut this ball and shame. You who sacrificed the public good for your private gain. You claim to own the harvest with your terminator seeds. You claim to own the genomes of every animal that breeds. You claim to own our culture and the music that we play. And with each song that we download to your coffers, we must pay. You'd even own my name and you'd say it's for the best. Maybe you'll let us on your radio if our songs can pass your test. You own country, you own western, you say you've given us a choice. You may own the airwaves, but you'll never own my voice. It's the commons, our right of birth. And you who'd own the music all around the earth. Our future is your downfall when you cut this ball and chain. You who'd sacrifice the public good for your private gain. It's the commons, our right of birth. Well, thank you for that introductory music, David Rovix. Speaking of whom... David will be doing a concert in Mendocino County next Monday evening. It'll be at Flow Restaurant and Lounge in Mendocino. That's at 7 o'clock this Monday. That's November 22nd. Annie and I will be there and hope to see some of you there. The opinions expressed on corporations and democracy are those of our guests and of the hosts and not necessarily of the management of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. Good evening, and welcome to Corporations and Democracy for November 18th, 2021. This is our first program at this new time, that's 7 p.m. on third Thursdays. Corporations and Democracy examines how corporations dominate our democracy and what citizens are doing to replace corporate dominance with true democracy. 
I'm Steve Scalanini with co-host Annie Esposito. Our program today will focus on how the Chevron Corporation has polluted the environment, the politics, and the social community, and the resistance and resilience of generations of people in that community of Richmond, California. Our guest is Andres Soto, the Richmond organizer for Communities for a Better Environment. Andres is a lifelong resident of the Richmond area and has spent his adult life as an advocate for progressive change on the local, state, and national levels. He's a seasoned organizer and co-founder of the Richmond Progressive Alliance. He also sits on the boards of several nonprofits and was a member of the Planning Commission of the City of Richmond. Andres is also a working musician in the Bay Area and has played his saxophone around the world. He's a proud father of two sons and is enjoying grandfatherhood with four grandchildren. So let's have a look at uh, the city of Richmond versus the Chevron Corporation. Andre Soto, welcome to Corporations and Democracy. Uh, well, thank you, Steve. Thanks for having me. Yes, we're so so happy that you could join us. Uh, I'm excited about this show. We have a lot of local talent, and you're certainly one of those as far as organizing for the community good. And so it's all about Richmond and Chevron. And so when people drive into Richmond, I guess that's the first thing they see, right, is Chevron. Well, if they're coming from the west, from like Marin County into the East Bay, yes. If they go up 80, like they're going from Oakland towards Sacramento, uh, they may see it off in the distance, uh, particularly because of the large steam clouds or perhaps occasionally the large flaring that goes on over there, the illegal flaring. Uh, but it's really hard to miss uh, because it's like uh, – it's a huge facility. It's the largest refinery in Northern California and the second largest refinery in the state of California. Wow, that's, that's pretty incredible, especially, I guess, the one thing that you've been living with for years then would be air quality uh, as, as coming from problems, air quality problems coming from that plant. Well, yeah. In fact, uh, when I was growing up as a child, uh, it was before the Clean Air Act. And so there were no limitations on pollution that the refinery put out. And I remember the first time I saw flaring, I was about 10 years old. And it was uh, one of the parents let me out after it was dark. And I was going around the corner to my friend's house to trade some baseball cards. And as I was walking up the street, I could see, like, this pulsating glow against the hillside. And uh, when I got a little further up the hill and I turned around, I could see this massive plume of uh, fire shooting out of the top of a pipe. And, you know, I'm 10 years old, and it was like, you know, super fireworks or something. I'm going, wow, that's so cool. <laughs> little did I know what they were doing was spewing literally, you know, thousands of pounds of pollutants into our community and uh, into our neighborhood specifically. And, you know, in our community and, and particularly if you live uh, in downwind from the Chevron refinery, uh, you know, because the danger, there's two dangers from the emissions from these refineries. The first are the greenhouse gases that go up in the atmosphere and are 
creating the climate crisis we're having. The other part is the fine particulate matter, which is like fallout uh, that drops on the local community or where the winds blow it. And it's only been in the last year that the Air District has actually created a map, a dispersion map, of this fine particulate matter. And this, the, we're talking about, you know, particulate matter that is almost microscopic in its scope. You can't see it with the naked eye. And it, it crosses the blood-brain barrier and enters directly into our blood through our lungs, the lung tissue, and this then disrupts the autoimmune system. So this is why uh, people for generations in our community, my family included, have disproportionate rates of as uh, asthma, which is autoimmune, cancer, which is autoimmune, uh, psoriasis, and other skin diseases, which are autoimmune. And then also there's a correlation with increased uh, um, uh, strokes and uh, cardiopulmonary disease. And so, for example, in my family, both my parents and myself and all my siblings got adult-onset psoriasis. Um, my, uh, a couple of my grandchildren have asthma. Um, the, uh, I had a brother who died a month of his, short of his third birthday when I was about seven years old uh, from brain cancer. My other brother got cancer on his tongue when he was in his mid-30s. Um, another sister uh, was getting ultraviolet light therapy for her psoriasis, and it uh, created a uh, melanoma, skin cancer, so she had to switch to Humira, and eventually her psoriasis morphed into psoriatic arthritis, and at age 50 years old, as a school teacher, she had to use a walker in her classroom. So, you know, it impacts my family personally, but it impacts our entire community more broadly and for generations. So, you know, this fight is not just um, because it's a good fight. It's also a personal fight. Wow. So people in Richmond, they can say they literally have uh, Chevron in their blood. And uh, not to even mention the dramatic fireworks uh, that you've witnessed to go with it. So in addition to all of these, this physical distress, it's this dangerous presence, uh, Chevron has a lot of political power, too. What is the Richmond experience in that regard? Well, you know, um, Richmond was primarily agricultural from the Spanish period until uh, the beginning of the 20th century. Uh, prior to that, of course, it was Huchun Ohlone people, and they lived hunter-gatherer, sedentary hunter-gatherer lifestyle for millennia. Um, but then the Spanish arrived and, and became agricultural. But um, a guy who was a produce shipper, a guy named August McDonald in Richmond, uh, was successful in luring the uh, Atchison-Topeka Santa Fe Railroad to make Richmond its western terminus. And a year later, uh, Pacific Oil showed up. They got bought out by Standard Oil of California, which was one of Rockefeller's seven sisters that led ultimately to the Sherman Antitrust Act against monopolies. Um, eventually, the name changed to Chevron in the 1970s. 
as we know it today. Um, but I would say that to give a framework for the political economy of Richmond is that with the advent of these two industries, uh, right at the beginning of the 20th century, that led to the industrialization of Richmond, which then led to periodic expansions of the population. So uh, the reason Richmond was selected for the railroad terminus uh, and in part, and thus the refinery, was at that point in time, the oil was coming from Kern County. The best way to get it there was by trains. And this is before automobiles, but there was already use for refined oil products, and the industry was expanding. And Richmond uh, has the benefit of being very close to the deep water channel of San Pablo Bay and ultimately San Francisco Bay. And so it's all about location, location, location. Uh, subsequently, you know, we saw other industries like the Ford Motor Company set up an assembly plant uh, in South Richmond on the waterfront in the 1920s. Uh, other chemical companies showed up. Um, and even Winehaven was built in, in 1906, which is at Point Malate. And after the earthquake, uh, San Francisco Wine Association or the California Wine Association relocated to Richmond and built the world's largest refinery. Uh, the shell of that building still exists at Point Malate and is the center of a, a huge land dispute. Um, a development dispute, but to the point more directly about Chevron is that one of the first things they did was modify, the city became a city, a chartered city in the state of California in, uh, 1907. And in 1911, it became one of the first cities where they got rid of strong mayor governments and got rid of district elections and created what's known as the city manager form of government and at-large elections where a person runs for city council in the whole city rather than in a specific discrete district. And this was done to take away um, power from a developing socialist-based uh, populist movement that manifested itself in California, for example, with the uh, election, uh, election of Hiram Johnson as a progressive party candidate aligned with Teddy Roosevelt. And so in order to thwart that at the local level, they brought in these reforms, and Chevron basically ran City Hall for more than a century, uh, what, a, what you know, some, and I use the term, corporatocracy, where it's ruled by the corporation. And Chevron, to whoever they anointed to be city council would get on the city council. So when the civil rights movement in the 1960s was pushing for more black inclusion and integration. Uh, ultimately, Chevron found willing African Americans to serve on the city council. And slowly, the council went from being all white to be, becoming predominantly African American. And then they, in the early 2000s, they started letting some Latinos in. But it was really um, the change that began in Richmond around the politics of Chevron uh, began in 2003 with the creation of the uh, Richmond Progressive Alliance to directly challenge the corporatocracy and to really demonize candidates who are supported by Chevron. And when they're supported by Chevron, it's not just Chevron. There's a whole political 
uh, cabal that works together historically, and that includes um, the Richmond Chamber of Commerce, the Richmond Council of Industries, the Richmond Police Officers Association, the Richmond Firefighters Association. And since the progressives have gotten into office, one of the things they've done is move towards a lot of uh, tenant protection and foreclosure protection. And ultimately, in 2018, uh, the people of Richmond were the, uh, it was the first city in over 30 years in California to vote in a form of rent control, a form that, you know, a modest form that is allowable under the state law called the Costa Hawkins. And so now part of that cabal includes the California Realtors Association and the California Apartment Owners Association. So those are all the bad guys who pool their money together, support candidates who are working against the best interests of the people in Richmond, and that includes holding the corporations accountable. That reminds me of something that Dennis Kucinich said on one of our shows, is that uh, when you're looking for City Hall, it's not a building. It's all what you just described as a City Hall. But uh, what about the Richmond Standard? You have a newspaper, right? Well, it is an online newspaper. Um, When I was growing up, there was a local newspaper called the Richmond Independent. It was a family-owned newspaper printed right in downtown Richmond. Um, but eventually, uh, this guy Lesher, who founded the Contra Costa Times newspaper chain, uh, did a loss leader thing where he started delivering newspapers to everybody for free, which drove out the independent out of business. And then he started charging. <laughs> and, uh, Dean Lesher. And now there's a performing arts center named after him in Walnut Creek. Um, but, uh, so that became sort of like a corporate uh, mouthpiece, but it was still a local corporate mouthpiece. And uh, it's still around, but it is consolidated with the uh, other newspapers, surviving newspapers in the East Bay, like the Oakland Tribune and the Hayward Argus. Uh, but it is also now part of the Bay Area News Group, which includes the San Jose Mercury News. So everything is a, this massive corporate news thing. So in in the absence of local reporting, um, and after the 2016 election, where or 2014 election, excuse me, where Chevron notoriously had been, you know, they had been spending more and more money each election, and getting moderate returns, always split tickets. Uh, but in 2014, there were uh, uh, a mayor's seat and three city council seats up for election, and Chevron notoriously spent $3.5 million in that election, and each one of their candidates lost. Oh, so they decided to go into a more psychologically soft uh, approach. And part of it is co-optation by spreading a lot of money around through so-called philanthropy, but also, uh, they developed their own online news service called the Richmond Standard, hearkening back to the days of Standard Oil. So um, it's quite an insidious uh, uh, program they have for Richmond. Wow. Yeah, I know that uh, recently you did 
work on a AB 617, which was supposed to save the air quality situation and the rain in all the pollution, um, but I gather that it, it actually didn't work, that it did the opposite. What can you, What's the lesson in that AB 617 for people? To well, well uh, uh, just a, a slight uh, correction here is that AB 617 was a companion bill to another bill called AB 398, which extended the cap and trade program. And from an environmental justice perspective, we opposed cap and trade and we opposed AB 398 and we opposed AB 617 because essentially it was giving money garnered through cap and trade to local air districts to work on local plans to reduce um, toxic air emissions. Well, that sells, sells all hunky-dory, except we knew it would take three, four, five years to roll out the process where they would actually identify what they needed to do, and then it was going to take another four or five years of lawsuits and regulatory processes before anything was actually done. So we saw it as a 10-year delay program and said so at congressional, I mean, at legislative hearings. But uh, what we came, so uh, what was even more insidious was that after the, the big 2012 uh, Chevron explosion and fire, which sent 15,000 people uh, to the local hospital to seek, you know, uh, assistance. Um, we started working with the steel workers union who represents the refinery operating workers, uh, as well as another environmental justice group in Richmond, uh, APEN, the Asian Pacific Environmental Network. And, um, the labor occupational health program at UC Berkeley. And we came up with a rule that would have capped refinery emissions uh, at, an, at a number that was an average of over five years. So it would have prevented increases. It would not have resulted in decreases. A modest uh, approach at best. But Jerry Brown was so desperate as governor to get cap-and-trade extended, he worked with the Western States Petroleum Association, or WISPA, um, to get the Republicans from moving to oppose to going um, neutral or to voting for the legislation. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, he cut a deal with WISPA where he said, give me your 10-point wish list. I will include it in the legislation if you ensure the Republicans will support this. And the deal was cut. And one of the provisions, one of the 10 provisions, was to take away the authority from local air districts to reduce greenhouse gases, which is their job. Mm -hmm. And instead, take that, put that authority in the California Air Resources Board, a state agency made up of gubernatorial appointees. So, you know, it was a dirty deal. The deal was cut. And so... In Richmond, we thought that we should have been identified as community emissions reduction community from the very outset because of our historic uh, and ongoing air pollution burden. But the Bay Area Air Quality Management District selected West Oakland first and said they're only going to roll out one community per year. So Richmond had to wait 
we did not participate in the first part, the uh, air monitoring program, uh, in part because capacity, but more so we knew it wasn't really going to change anything and they weren't going to make any serious policy recommendations. And so we got involved, I got involved, um, once they started designing what the steering committee process would be like for um, the uh, community, community Emissions Reduction Program, or SERP, uh, steering committee. And that turned into a big battle. It was uh, There's recently an article in The Grist that talks about the struggle to bring some transparency and some democracy and to remove the corporate influence uh, from that steering committee that was, that is going to be making, uh, some serious, um, you know, recommendations on facilities that pollute in our community. And, uh, in the end, we won that battle. A majority of the people on the steering committee are people, uh, who are committed to, uh, emissions reduction and, and the health of the people over the corporation profits. Unfortunately, you know, there are people still on the committee who are bought and sold by, um, by Chevron and receive money from them and publicly support them, like the Richmond NAACP, uh, several neighborhood councils. And so, you know, that's the corrupting and co-opting influence that goes on as well, which then creates division in the community. So, for example, you know, uh, to say that the Richmond NAACP, uh, because they take money from Chevron and, and they're, president supports Chevron publicly, uh, you know, when we identify that, you know, the president has called me personally a racist over that. And I know I'm not, but that's the way, you know, divide and conquer works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really depressing. Yeah, they've got money and everything. The moderate Democrats and conservatives and the NAACP, um, wow. So you did say you had some uh, successes in in this fight. It, it seems like a lot of the things there are, are traps that get laid when you, the community tries to make improvements and and uh, push back emissions and stuff. They have all of these different kinds of tricks to play, like the delay tactics and everything. Um, so, but what were some of your success, your successes? Wasn't there something this summer that you did? What was that the- right, right. Um, so in July at the uh, Bay Area Quality Management District board meeting, there was a vote, and the vote was 19 to 3 out of 24 members uh, to um, create a new standard for the toxic particulate matter emissions that come out of a piece of equipment in the refinery known as the catalytic cracker unit or the cat cracker. And uh, the limit that they set was 0.01 microns. And what that will do in reality is force the Chevron refinery in Richmond and the PBF refinery in Martinez to install a piece of equipment on their cat crackers uh, called a wet gas scrubber. And this will be effective in reducing 70 to 90% of that toxic particulate matter uh, coming out of the stacks 
of the cat cracker. Now, this is really important and critical because the cat cracker itself is the most polluting part of a refinery operation. Uh, think of it as like a, a pressure cooker uh, where the hot crude oil comes in into this vessel. It's infused with uh, chemicals like sulfuric acid and hydrogen, and, and, and this is all heated under pressure, which then cracks the molecules of the crude oil. And those become different gases that have different weights, and they go up into these pipes, and based on their weight, they get siphoned off into what they call side-cut pipes, and then they go on for further processing to become constituent products such as aviation fuel, gasoline, diesel, uh, lubricants, uh, that's sort of, those sort of products that, that the refineries make. And bunker fuel, and, something dirty like that. What's that? And, and bunker fuel, which is... The, right, and yeah. bunker fuel, yeah. And so um, the result is that this creates this particulate matter as one of their byproducts. And like I said, one of the things that was new and was really helpful was the Air District um, engineering staff actually created a, uh, a map, a one-year snapshot map of particulate matter emissions from the catalytic cracker unit at Chevron and a separate map for one for PBF in Martinez. And the one uh, for Chevron showed that there was an intense plume of, of particulate matter that went straight north from the Chevron refinery uh, up the west coast of uh, Contra Costa County and directly into the city of Vallejo. That was the most intense plume. Now, the, the less intense plume actually spread all the way from Tiburon, uh, you know, one of the wealthiest zip codes in the United States, all the way up to um, near Santa Rosa, and all the way out to Sassoon, and as far south as North Oakland. And that's just the Chevron refinery. So um, the PBF had similar problems, but going along the north coast, eastward of the uh, Contra Costa County coast and into the Delta area. So um, what this informed us was we could now with the district's own evidence who bore the disproportionate impact. And it was working class white people, it was African Americans, it's Latinos, it's Filipinos. Um, so predominantly people of color and working class and poor people. And this was, I think, a critical piece of information that the refineries could not hide from. They have a formal partnership with the building trades unions and they call it Common Ground California. And so the building trades have sold their soul to be shills for the oil industry uh, and argued against the most protective measure, um, crying about their jobs and that their jobs would be lost. When in fact, we showed through an academic study from UCLA that uh, it actually creates jobs in the short term because it takes two to three years to install this equipment. And so in the end, it was really politics and climate 
And I think the wildfires have shaken a lot of people's realities. Um, and the density of the smoke that, you know, you know, I know I've never seen anything like that in my life. And now we've had, you know, three or four episodes of that. So I think this is shaking some of these elected officials into taking the proper action. And as usual with a lot of elected officials, once they see a majority is going a certain way, then they all kind of pile on. Nobody wants to be the odd person standing, except for three people. Um Supervisor Karen Mitchoff uh, from Contra Costa County, because she represents a district with refinery. Um, Dave Hudson, the mayor of San Ramon, where Chevron has their corporate headquarters. And then uh, David Canapa from the San Mateo County Board of Supervisors, uh, who I think was uh, willing to go along with the building trades unions because now he has ambitions to run for Congress now that Jackie Spear has announced her retirement. Oh. So so everybody's got a motive here, you know. I'm just struck by the uh, the, you know, the self-interests competing in, 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 from what you've explained. Uh, I have a question about, about technology, perhaps. The, uh, the wet gas scrubbers, is that what you called it? Correct. And uh, that's a technology which I don't believe is new, but it hasn't been around for, I mean, decades is as it not is that or is that new it has been around for decades it is commonly used in the industry in the united states and around the world and in fact they're already installed in a majority of refineries not only in the united states but a majority of refineries in texas so that was one of <laughs> that was surprise. one of our our lines you know if it's good enough for texas why not the bay area whoa what a surprise there and any idea what that adds to a gallon of gasoline? I mean, they said. Uh, yeah, yeah. The analysis uh, that was uh, developed showed that at most it might be two cents a gallon. Yeah. It's something we found with PG&E is that a lot of the disasters are because of faulty equipment and poor maintenance and stuff. And so you really hit on something by going after substandard equipment or lack of uh, adequate equipment. Um, have a lot of, you notice, have a lot of the little, little tiny, big problems with fires and flares. Do you attribute a lot of that to poor equipment or, or maintenance? Well, uh, here's what I can tell you, that um, the 2012 uh, explosion and fire, on August 6, 2012, when Chevron put a mushroom cloud over Richmond on the anniversary of when the United States put a mushroom cloud over, over Hiroshima, um, that turned out to be investigated by the United States Chemical Safety Board. And these people are presidential appointees confirmed by the Senate. And their investigation and report uh, showed that the pipe that failed and created the explosion and almost incinerated, uh, 20 workers, uh, was the result of a pattern of management neglect and a failure to repair pipes that, uh, were known to have been corroded. In fact, the pipe that failed started out as an inch and a half thick carbon steel, and at the time it it failed. It was thinner than a dime, so it had, it had almost become foil. 
Um, this is the way they run their refinery in order to maximize profits. Um, they were um, also charged criminally uh, by the district attorney and the attorney general, and uh, they copped the plea. They were charged with 15 felonies. They pled guilty to one felony and were put on probation for five years and fined a million dollars. That million dollars was divided between the attorney general's office at that time, Kamala Harris, and uh, the uh, the district attorney uh, in Contra Costa County. So the people of Richmond got nothing out of that. So subsequently to that, uh, not only did they have to repair that, but in 2014 they came forward with a plan called the Modernization Plan. So, um, you know, that's the big, long, detailed struggle. In the end, uh, they paid $90 million into community benefits in order to weaken environmental conditions that have been put on by the Planning Commission. Oh. And uh, they were given approval on, a, on appeal to the city council because at that point the city council was still uh, majority pro-corporate people. Oh. And so they got the approval for the project, but what we don't know Right now, what we do know is that there has been an increase in flaring, which is illegal unless you know they notify the district in advance they're doing some work that will result in an increase in flaring. And none of that has been happening, and there has been um, a significant increase in flaring since the installation of their so-called modernization program. What we do know from uh, a report in 2019 was that there was a design flaw, meaning not only did an engineer design this, but somebody in the building inspection and planning department approved it. But they put these massive electrical cables right above steam vents. And so the steam was shorting out the electricity, mm -hmm. which then would cut off power to the operations of the equipment, which then would lead to the buildup of gases in the pipes that could lead to a catastrophic explosion. Mm -hmm. And this is when they vent those gases through the pipes, and the top of the pipe has something similar to like a pilot light, yeah. a small flame up there. And that is what ignites those gases and creates the visible flaring that uh, we in Richmond have been experiencing since really a, a, a significant increase since 2016. Mm -hmm. So um, Supervisor John Joya uh, of the Contra Costa County Board of Supervisors, who sits on the Air District Board, has asked the, um, the um, agency to investigate this increase in flaring and what they can do about it. And there are some members of the Richmond City Council who are uh, preparing to ask for um, uh, an analysis of what happened in the design and construction process that allowed this faulty design to go forward.
Let me take a moment to tell listeners that we're talking with Andre Soto. He's the Richmond organizer for Communities for a Better Environment. And we're talking about how the Chevron Corporation has polluted the environment, politics, and the social community in the city of Richmond and what the persistence and resilience of uh, a people there has been and how they've done it. And if anyone would like to call in with a question, the number here is 895-2448. That's area code 707-895-2448. You're an organizer with Communities for a Better Environment in Richmond. Uh, One of the approaches, I guess, is old standby lawsuits. Uh, Have you done lawsuits as uh, your group against Chevron, and what happened? Well, um, so the city of Richmond sued Chevron, as I said, after 2012 fire, and for other incidents dating back 50 years. They ended up settling for $5 million, rather paltry. Um, we, as um, a nonprofit corporation, have not really engaged in lawsuits against Chevron. What usually has happened is, like with this Rule 6-5, the significant victory to clean up our air, a month after the vote, in August of 2021, uh, Chevron and PBF both filed lawsuits in Contra Costa County challenging the rule. And uh, our attorneys, because CBE does use what we call a triad model. We have organizers, we have uh, researchers, and we have lawyers. And we work as teams in in five different communities in California, uh, not just Richmond, but also East Oakland, and then three locations in Southern California. And um, so in this case, you know, frequently what we end up doing is writing amicus briefs on behalf of the regulatory agencies who have brought forward regulations that we have advocated for, uh, such as the anti-flaring rule, or, or now in this case, uh, the cat cracker rule. And, uh, you know, the lawyers tell us it'll take two to three years to litigate. Under the existing implementation rules of the Air District, they still had five years and continue to have five years to come into compliance. So, um you know, five years is a long time, and that's a lot of pollution they can put into the atmosphere between now and then. You gave a pretty heart-rending description of the effect of Chevron on the health of your family. Uh, what does it say about the people of Richmond that they're still fighting <laughs> and, and organizing and, and that it has uh, produced organizers like you in a, in a group by CBE? Um, what does that say about the people? Well, I mean, growing up in Richmond, you know, um, it has always had a reputation as a, a tough working class kind of place. When I was a child, it was a predominantly Euro-American city uh, with a bunch of tough white boys, right? And a lot of them were Southern whites uh, whose families migrated out here during the war years. Um, significant African-American community that had to deal with those people, whether they were on the police department or, you know, in the department store. Um, eventually, you know, uh, uh, now the, the demographics have shifted once again. And, 
now the the city itself is plurality Latino, and Western Contra Costa County is is half Latino, and so that's a significant shift. Uh, but it's still got this reputation as a tough place that breeds tough people, and I think one of the things is there's also a long legacy of resistance. Um, and, you know, so, for example, after World War II, um, the Richmond police and the labor unions were having battles in the streets because they're trying to organize the workers in the refinery. Um, you know, the Black Panther newspaper, the very first edition was printed in order to promote an event in North Richmond after the Contra Costa County Sheriff's shot a 17-year-old kid in the back, a kid named Denzel Dowell. And we had a very active Black Panther chapter in Richmond, as well as a Hell's Angel chapter <laughs> um, and Brown Berets. And so, you know, there's that legacy. And then, of course, uh, during the 80s, we had the crack wars and AIDS and guns and uh, it was a very hard time, very difficult time. And historically, what happens is people get up, and if they survive all this, they move out. Uh, but there are some people who stick around, such as myself, and make it a project to improve the community. Um, I graduated from Cal with a political science degree in, in 1982, and I worked in a variety of issues, but I was always engaged in my community on nonprofit boards, uh, you know, school district committees, uh, and ultimately in 2002 on Cinco de Mayo, me and my two sons, one who was a student at Cal and one who was a student at Laney College in Oakland, um, we were beaten and pepper sprayed and arrested by the Richmond police just for asking why they closed down the main thoroughfare, 23rd Street, about a block from our house. Um, we were the first Mexicans arrested that night and put in jail. Uh, they filled the jail, and we started organizing there. Ultimately, our quest for justice and the different paths that that took ultimately led us to create the Richmond Progressive Alliance because we were starting to connect the dots between the corporate power, police abuse, the racism, um, the bad education system, uh, or underfunded, I should say, underfunded education system, and, and other social problems that we we're having, and the politics of racial division. And so the Richmond Progressive Alliance we created in 2003 in order to run slates of candidates in each election under a corporate uh, free um, progressive banner and that it's an alliance because some people are Dems, some people are Greens, some people are Peace and Freedom, but we're all progressives and that that was the unifying force and, and an analytical lens in which to understand the political economy of our community and then, you know, take on the various issues, whether it's the, uh, you know, uh, school to prison pipeline, prison industrial complex, whether it's, um, you know, housing issues because more than half the people are renters, 
uh, you know, to uh, taking on the environmental justice issues. And in fact, CBE had has been in in Richmond for over 30 years, and I knew previous organizers and and had worked with them, and then had been a member prior to myself becoming an organizer. So, it's there's a long legacy of resistance in the face of oppression that uh, I think comes from the fact that Richmond is a tough place. And and if you survive, you know, you've learned survival skills, but you also have learned some fighting skills. Can you tell us what is the ratio right now on the city council for progressive alliance uh, aligned people versus not? Yeah, there are seven city council members, including the mayor, and uh, four of them are with the Richmond Progressive Alliance, and three of them, including the mayor, are not. And uh, this has had a tremendous impact. One of the most important things was uh, over the last uh, two, three weeks, the council majority, the progressive majority, voted uh, to admit that the city was wrong in defending a lawsuit on the development at Point Molate, which is just north of the Richmond-San Rafael Bridge, where the former wine haven is and and a beach area. Uh, They want to put uh, over 2,000 condos and residential units on a hillside just on the other side of the refinery in a high-fire zone area. Uh, We want to see a park. East Bay Regional Parks is committed to building a park out there. and the deal was the mayor and some of his cronies cut a deal in closed session that was illegal. And uh, we are part of a group called the Point Molate Alliance that has uh, sued, uh, not you know, not Richmond Progressive Alliance, not mm-hmm. CBE, but the Point Molate Alliance, um, citing these Brown Act violations and also um, land use uh, uh, violations. And so... Rather than getting the technicalities of it, the important thing is that the progressive majority, in a very, very unusual move, moved to reverse course and turn the ship 180 degrees around. Um, Also, because of that and leaking of confidential information from closed session uh, by the mayor about the city manager and the city attorney, um, the progressive majority last week uh, voted to refer uh, the situation to the district attorney's office and the grand jury for them to investigate. So this kind of transparency could not happen uh, without having the right people in the right place. And one of the biggest things that has changed, even though it was part of the original RPA platform back in 2003, 2004, was um, district elections have been established. So right now, of the seven council members, three were elected by the new districts in the 2020 election. Mm -hmm. And in 2022, the mayor and the three other districts will be up for election. So the balance of power can shift if uh, we are not vigilant and do not work as hard as we always have. Yeah, you have your work cut out for you, although it's impressive what you can accomplish with just that one vote majority on your city council. So congratulations for that. Yeah, thank you. 
That's uh, somebody else that I know you support who has been fighting Chevron for quite a while, Stephen Donziger, an environmental lawyer. Do you want to tell us a little bit about him? I, I know that you've raised money for his uh, defense. Right, right. So Stephen Donziger is an attorney, um, United States attorney, not an attorney for the United States government, but he's an attorney from the United States um, who filed a lawsuit down in Ecuador on behalf of various indigenous tribes in the Amazon basin, where Chevron, uh, uh, under the guise of Texaco, um, engaged in oil extraction and then left behind a big toxic mess. And um, they won a lawsuit in Ecuador for $9 billion, and Chevron simply disregarded it after defending it. They disregarded it, left the country, and then hired an attorney, or excuse me, uh, got a, a hearing before a judge who worked for a law firm that used to uh, work for Chevron, a guy named Kaplan, and he allowed them to file a civil RICO uh, lawsuit, not a criminal RICO lawsuit, but a civil criminal lawsuit, very innovative, if you will, um, and ultimately found him guilty, found a judgment, demanded that he turn over materials um, that are confidential information between him and his clients, and um, he got slapped with contempt of uh, court. He was put under house arrest. He's been under house arrest for two years, and then actually about two weeks ago, he had to report to federal prison, and I think they put him in Connecticut, um, uh, where he will serve a six-month sentence for contempt of court for uh, refusing to turn over, you know, emails and and texts and that kind of communications, which is unheard between of. himself and his clients. Yeah, that's unheard of in the legal system. Absolutely unheard of, and it shows the fascistic corporate tendencies of the U.S. legal system that have always been there. But it's these kind of cases just highlight the true nature of it. I know uh, Greg Palace says that this is the first case of a corporation prosecuting a criminal, quote-unquote, because the judge hired, at public expense, a private attorney to prosecute Donziger, and that attorney had represented Chevron. Absolutely. So it, it shows, you know, that the U.S. legal system, which is enshrined in the Constitution, written by oligarchs for oligarchs is working exactly as intended to uh, keep the wealthy in power and keep their money flowing and people uh, who stand up to that uh, risk the wrath of that legal system. Yeah, and I expect that's not over till it's over. So, uh, and I don't know if there'll be a, a countersuit or if, if uh, if the uh, you know the public can file a RICO suit against the court system and the judges, I, you know, but something else is going to happen on the road, I'm sure. And, well, um, I don't have my fingers on the pulse of that, but that sounds good to me. Yeah. 
Yeah. We might just to our listeners that, you know, 60 Nobel Prize winners have supported Don Ziger, and the UN Human Rights Commission have asked that he be released. So it's we're not imagining stuff here. Well, and there's also litigation uh, by Richmond and many other cities um, against the oil companies for lying uh, for for about their role in uh, creating the climate crisis we're experiencing right now. Okay, caller, you're on the air. With, uh, where are you calling from? Uh, Albion. Thank you. What's your question? Um, it's not a question. It's just related to this uh, Chevron lawsuit. Uh, I recently, during some other research, ran across the information that an attorney, another American attorney, um, beat Shell Oil in a pollution suit. In this country, his name is Roger Cox, and um, I didn't get the whole information on it because I just didn't have time with my cell phone. Uh, but anyway, uh, Shell ended up ha- uh, having to sell. It's, anyway, it's in the process of selling a bunch of its holdings, so it had an effect. Okay, glad to hear. And I don't know if you've heard about that, Andres. Is that have you heard about that particular? Um, I'm not familiar with that particular lawsuit um, or what jurisdiction or or what the final judgment is. But I do know that uh, Shell, in a very bold move, which was rooted in the Netherlands. Uh, has just moved its corporate headquarters to London and is completely separating itself from the Netherlands and is no longer going to call itself Royal Dutch Shell. It'll just be Shell. And they specifically cited increased um, regulation by the Netherlands government uh, uh, around climate change. So um, well, I'm this is the way these people these, act. These related suits could be worth looking into. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, because there's the short-term responses. I mean, it sounds good to me, but then the long-term ramifications, too. So, I mean, gaining wisdom by sharing, uh, you know what I mean, finding mm-hmm. out what's going on. Do you know I where? Was Absolutely. Absolutely. I was researching it because um, my aged mother had, uh, 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 well, I don't know what you'd call Stop. it. Uh, Anyway, she got seriously injured at a shell station uh, because of a negligent thing there. And so she's been in a uh, lawsuit for uh, some years. And then her attorneys, it turns out her attorney just was buckling to shell and actually working against her so that they could buckle to shell oil. So I've been trying to find somebody that would, you know, stand up for something right. Anyway, and that, I was researching that when I ran across this thing. So okay, I just think you. it's worth looking into. Okay. Thank you so much. Thanks Bye-bye. Very much, we have to um, start signing off now because we're about out of time. Now, let me spell Don Ziger for people who want to follow through. D-O-N-Z-I-G-E-R. That's D-O-N-Z-I-G-E-R. And those interested in the case, you can go to www.donzigerdefense.com. And it's also a place to, uh, to donate, if you wish, to his defense. And we have about 45 seconds left. So... Uh, I certainly wanted to compliment you on the uh, uh, 
uh, you know, accomplishments of Citizens for a Better Environment and the Progressive Alliance down there. I noticed looking online that the Citizens for Progressive Alliance does work in conjunction with other organizations, and, and I listed 12 of them on the website. So you guys, you know, rock for working with other, you know, populist organizations to get things done. My congratulations to you. Yeah, it's, uh, through unity we will find our strength. Mm -hmm. And people okay. can go to our website, which is cbecal.org, and find out more information and can contribute if they like. Okay, that's cbecal.org. And Andres, thanks very much for being our guest today. We appreciate you having, having you on the air. Well, thanks for the invitation, and I'm always happy to share our story. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.